This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Uh, I often quote this by an uh, article I read out of, I don't know, some uh, guitar magazine, but it said the number one song of all time was, I Can't Get No. You know that song too. I can't get no. <laughs> Only part I know, I can't get no. <laughs> that's all I got. That's all. Adam, Brianna, that's why I'm not the worship leader. <laughs> But nevertheless, have you ever seen that? This is an interesting point. Sometimes when you're young, you have this aspiration that, you know, once you have sex for the first time, then you'll be finally satisfied. Oh, nobody raised their hand. I'll be the only one, right? Some people think, oh, once I get married, then I'll be finally satisfied. Some people think, okay, once I get that big house... Then I'll be satisfied. Once I get that kid, oh, then life will be peachy and I'll be, I'll be satisfied. But you start to see very quickly that what? Even though you get more, that doesn't necessarily bring complete satisfaction. Now, there is significant satisfaction that you could experience here in this life. 
They're great, happy times. I, the first time I had my first child, I can't even tell you the joy I felt. Isn't it amazing? Somebody who I didn't even know. All of a sudden, they come out, and this love flooded my soul. I don't even know why I love that person so much. However, now that person is 14 years old. <laughs> and now we're arguing every Tuesday, right? Don't talk to that boy, girl. He ain't no good. Oh, Lord, help me. Right? And oftentimes we get confused. In our culture today with supersize me and extra, we think more is better. Think about it. Back in the ancient times, there was a lot of stuff they just did not see. The invention of TV allowed us to get inside other people's homes, allowed the world to get in our lives. And we see people over and over watching Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. We're watching the zombies or we're watching Marvel Luke Cage. We're watching whatever else is on. Handmaid's Tale. Oh, I gotcha. We're watching all these TV shows, and we're seeing all these different people's lives, and we're like, man, I must be missing something. I must be missing out, because I don't have what they have. And if I just had one more car, one more house, one more coat, one more suit, one more kid, if I just had a new spouse, a new house, a new car, oh, then I'll be satisfied. But you don't understand the desires of the flesh war against God's will, God's law, God's spirit. And because the desires war against the will of God for our lives, we have to take time, pause, and assess what it is we're really desiring. Because desires aren't necessarily God's will. Haven't you figured it out yet? Just because I have a desire does not mean that's God's will. There's a difference between your desire and God's will. That's what worship is. We're laying down our will for God's will. But our desire is what makes, in a sense, us move. However, our desire isn't always lined up with God's desires. Now our will carries it out. Our desires can motivate us or make us move, but our, our wills would carry it out. So for us, we have to make that distinction between our desire and our will, understand what God's will is so that we can lay down our will and renew our desires so they line up with his so that we can be fruitful for him. We're going to talk about a gentleman today whose name is Paul. Over the last seven weeks, we've been talking about the different churches in Asia Minor. And these churches had a unique name, and these churches also had a unique part to play in the role of God's plan of salvation. But today we're going to talk about one church that was not even in the seven churches that John addressed. This church is the Philippian church in Philippi. This is a church that Paul went and in a sense started the kingdom of God expanding in Europe. His first European convert whose name was, anybody know her name? Lydia. The first European convert to Christianity was a God-fearing woman who, in a sense, sold purple dye. Her name was Lydia. And Paul, on his second missionary journey, as he's leaving Asia Minor, the area we just talked about the last seven weeks, he's leaving the area, he runs into this woman from Thyatira. 
And we know Thyatira means daughter. That was the church that Jesus addressed that had a woman named Jezebel who was in there preaching these false heresies, false doctrines. Lydia is from that area. And now she's in Philippi, and she's a part of a new church movement, a movement of God that happens in this Roman outpost. Philippi wasn't necessarily a wealthy area, but it was strategically posted a place called Ignatius Way. It was a roadway for the Roman country in a sense to be able to traverse throughout the entire area of Europe. And Philippi was there. Philippi was there. And because of it, Paul thought a strategic plan for this particular church. So Paul one day is going out as he's now entered this place, being warned in a dream by a man or admonished in a dream by a man from Mesopotamia saying, come over here. And preaches the gospel. He goes over there. And finally he sees this woman as he's going out to pray. And the Bible says God opens her heart. Now this time Paul is still doing pretty good. His life is okay. He hasn't had too much trouble yet. But trouble is coming for Paul we know. Anyway as he witnesses to her she gets saved. And this amazing experience starts to happen. A groundswell of Christianity starts to bubble up. In this new community. Well, eventually, he's going out, going to pray consistently day by day. And as going out, there is a woman possessed by a demon. And this woman keeps saying the same thing over and over as she sees Paul. She says, these are men of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. This is a demon-possessed woman telling everybody that they could be saved by listening to the message Paul preaches. Well, eventually, Paul got frustrated. And what did he do? He turned around, saw her, he said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her, demon. And the demon came out of her. And she began to convulse, fell down. Paul picked her up. Now, this woman now is free from her demon possession. But the problem is she added value to other people. She actually helped these handlers get paid money because the demons gave her the power to predict the future. Have you ever been to, hopefully, don't lay, raise your hand. I'm not going to ask the question. If you ever go to a psychic, psychics can actually tell the future. Now, it's not their power or God's power telling the future. It's demonic power. So in a sense, she, inspired by Satan, had the ability to foretell the future And because of these people were making big bang, making money. Man, this is a great investment, right? All we got to do is give her some vittles, and she's good. Nevertheless, Paul ended that enterprise. And because it ended, the people who were her handlers were so upset, they took Paul and brought him up to public beating. Remember, think about the passion of Christ. Remember that the passion of Christ when Jesus was flogged. Paul was flogged in front of the whole city, and thrown into jail. And while he's in jail, in shackles, he begins to sing praises to God, he and his partner Barnabas. They're in there singing praises to God. They were singing songs. I wish I could sing right now. I would be, I love you, Lord. That's all I got. And uh, No, I'm done. And so they're singing to God in the jail, right? They're there singing. And while they're singing, an earthquake happened. 
and they're singing, oh, oh, oh right? That's, that's how I really sound, right, when I sing. But nevertheless, they're singing, an earthquake happens, and all of a sudden, the jailer comes from his house. He runs, and he sees that the prison cell is wide open. And he's thinking, all those prisoners are gone. So he takes his sword, and right before he's about to kill himself, Paul runs out of the jail and says, no, 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 stop. We're all still in here. Paul and the jailer go inside, and all the prisoners are still there, shackles off, doors open, but no one left. The jailer then says this, Lord, he, said, he says, please, I want to be saved. And Barnabas and Paul answered and said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and your whole house. These are the three main stories that Paul has at this church in Philippi. Paul loved this church immensely, you could tell in his letter. But at the writing of this letter, Paul's actually in jail. Most people think he's in Rome, where Paul's about to be what? Beheaded. And in the midst of Paul's suffering, in his imprisonment, he's writing a letter of encouragement to this young church. This is the background of this letter. So understand, as we most of the time quote Philippians, what's the one scripture we quote more than any other scripture in the Bible? I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And most people use that scripture for every single issue imaginable under the sun. Oh, I'm feeling bad today, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Oh, I need to get that job. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Oh, I can't wait to get that spouse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. But today we're going to give some context to that scripture. Understand that the Philippians outside of Lydia were a very, very poor church. They were in abject poverty. And I don't know about you, but I've seen abject poverty a couple of times in my life. One, I was in Amman, Jordan, and Jared and uh, Greg and I were actually coming back from, from Israel. And we missed this, this area when we went there, but on the way back, we saw it. We saw, I saw it there in Haiti as well, and it looks the same everywhere. It's like brick homes, if you're lucky, cement homes or mud homes. And there's no light inside the house. You can only function during the daytime. And there's nothing else. Abject poverty. Maybe a hole to use a bathroom in. Abject poverty. This is, in your brain, kind of think about the Philippians like this. These are people who are poor. I'm, I'm from West Virginia. My grandparents, they weren't poor. They were what? Poe. They, they couldn't afford the OR. They were poor. They were so poor. I'm trying. You don't like my jokes. It's okay. I tell bad jokes all the time. Welcome to Endurance Church. Father God, thank you today because you are faithful. Thank you, Father God, that you could do all things. And I thank you, Father God, that we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we talked about the last uh, couple of weeks, churches that were in what we call Asia Minor. And so we're, we were last couple of weeks here. And these lines kind of represent Paul's journey. These are the churches here. And now Philippi is north, west of there. There's Philippi. This is where we were, the different churches, Ephesians, um, Ephesus, Thyatira, Smyrna. Now he's up here in the 
in Philippi. So you see, geographically, he's not too far away from where he once was. Does that make sense? Okay, can you turn to the next slide, please? Thank you. Got a quote by Larry Burkett. Anybody know Larry Burkett? He's a guy that helped my mom get out of debt. He's a, if you can't get to Jared and you can't get to Dave Ramsey, you find Larry Burkett's resources. He's very helpful in getting you out. Crown Ministries, has anybody heard of their ministries? Great financial ministry. We recommend it here in Durham Church. We don't believe in debt here in the church, even though we got some debt. We're trying to get rid of it, just so you know. We don't believe it. We still got it. We got to get rid of it, okay? Next, uh, his quote is this. He says, contentment is so far removed from many Christians that it seems that they will never be able to find it or be at peace. However, contentment is not something that must be searched for and found. It is an attitude of the heart. Once the attitude has been modified and all has been transferred to God, contentment will be evident. Amen. Jump in Philippians uh, chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 10, I think, all the way to 20. This is Paul writing. Paul had a mission, and it was a couple, it was multifaceted. Paul's first mission was to go out and make disciples throughout the world. But also, Paul was trying to help encourage or reinforce to the leaders in Jerusalem that the Gentiles now were saved and had the Holy Spirit. So he had to convince them that they were saved and had the Holy Spirit without being circumcised. Because Paul knew if they had to be circumcised, Christianity would have a problem. Can I get an amen? Amen. I amen myself there. But nevertheless, Paul wanted some fruit from the Gentiles. So one of the areas of fruit he saw was if Gentiles would give their material possessions to the Jews, the Jews would know, man, God really has changed their heart. Why that was important? Because people just didn't give money during that day and time. Money was hard to come by. So Paul needed some group of Gentiles to give. If you go to Corinthians, that's the whole book of 2 Corinthians. He's trying to persuade them to keep their word. Give, oh, I got this. Give to them, thank you. Give to them what, in a sense, you promised, which was money. So if you don't keep your word, if you don't give your money, then they won't know, they being the Jews, won't know that the Gentiles have genuinely been saved. All right? So we go here, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Why is this important? Because the Philippians had given to them before Paul, given to Paul before when he was in Thessalonica. They had given money. This poor, impoverished church gave money to Paul when he's in Thessalonica. Now, the in contrast to the Philippians, the Corinthians were a little bit unwilling to give to Paul. Why? Because Paul was going through so much. People began to ask the question, if you are a Christian, why is all this bad stuff happening to you? Because most people have this perspective of like a lot of Jesus' disciples. That if you're saved, then it shouldn't it be all peaches and cream? If you're saved, then shouldn't you get all your heart's desire? But the Corinthians were like, hold up, we, we got we to gotta check you a little bit, Paul. But the Philippians were like, Paul, we know God is working through you. And we're going to keep giving to you and your ministry because we believe God is working through your life. So he goes on to say to him, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at your last care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked the opportunity. 
So here he's being kind of political. He's like, look, I know you, you started to give it, but you had to stop because something happened. I get it. I get it. I get it. But now you're given again. You lacked the opportunity before, but now you're given. Thank you. Good job. He goes on to say, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul setting up his argument here, his point, the thrust of what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, I'm not trying to say I needed your money. And you're like, wait a minute, Paul, you don't need our money? Aren't you in trouble? Don't you need money to do ministry? Don't you need money to eat? What do you mean you don't need money? Paul, most, most people don't realize, was once a wealthy man. He was an educated, great family. He was, on a, he was high on the hog, as they say. And Paul fell from having an abundance of prosperity and wealth into poverty, doing God's will. And now, Paul is writing from jail, about to be executed... And he's trying to say, I don't have a need. And you must be saying, if you're Philippian, what is he talking about? Is he lying? Is he not being honest? Maybe he's simply trying to put on a front. Maybe he's trying to show, like good leaders do, that everything's okay, even though the world is falling apart. Look at what he says there. Not that I speak in regard to need, For I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Now understand, I've been at times without money or lack. And I've had plenty. But I didn't need any training to do that. Right? When you're broke, you just... You're broke. You just go through being broke until you get some money. I don't need any training to be broke. Right? And when you're rich, you don't need no training to be rich. I'm rich. What training do I need now? I got it. I'm living life well. You don't need any training just to get there per se. But he's not referencing simply just getting there. He's referencing how an individual should respond in life when they are there. There's a particular way God expects you to respond to life when you're poor. And on the other side, there's a particular way God expects you to respond to life when you're rich. And if you let, in a sense, your scenario or your life situation determine how you respond, you're not walking in contentment. I know, buddy. I know it's hard gospel, but it's the truth. Do you get what I'm trying to say? You can't let your situation determine your response to God. If you're poor, you can't sit there and say, oh, one, I'm going to be rich. And when God blesses me with money, then I'm going to shout. Once God gives me this new car, I'm going to shout. Once the Avengers... Four comes out, then I'm going to be so happy because I'm going to know what happened to Captain America. Right? I, you, you, can't, you can't look at scenarios and say, once this happens, then it's going to be all good. Because as a Christian, we have to be content in every single 
scenario. Is your marriage rough right now? I learned the secret to life. Being content. Are things not the way you want right now? Don't sit there and oh, things want to get better. Once all my ducks get in a row. Learn how to be content when their ducks are on different sides of the planet. You say, how is that possible? Now, you have to understand this. What I am telling you to do is impossible to do with human strength. You should be thinking, how is that possible? That should be your response. That's what the Philippians are thinking about Paul. How are you trying to say everything's okay? How are you able to do this? Next slide, please. Both to abound and to suffer need, he concludes the point. He's like, in every single scenario, I've learned how to live in contentment. Now he goes on to say how he learned this great secret, how he has this power, how he has this ability. How does he have it? Verse 13, the scripture we quote all the time. What does he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's trying to say, what I'm trying to tell you I'm doing is impossible in your own strength. You may be cute. You may be strong. You may be intelligent. You may be rich. He's saying, but you can't do this without God's help. So don't get disappointed if right now you're saying, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it either. I don't want to be poor or poor. I don't want to be that. Who Now, would, would I mind being I wouldn't mind, but I want to be rich to my detriment. Because first, God's telling us, learn how to be content. Because if you are faithful when you are poor, then God can give you more so that you can be faithful when you're rich. But before the faithfulness, this foundation of contentment must be laid. Learn how to be content. Learn how to be faithful with what you have. How do you do that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He says, now the Philippians, now, now you Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. So remember, here's this Poe church, poor, poor. Yet they were the only church that gave to Paul. Nobody else was. And they're giving to Paul again. Despite their need, they're still giving. He goes on to say, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So once again, he's reiterating the same point. He said, I'm not saying give because I have a need, nor I deserve money. I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm, I deserve a prize because I'm doing this great work for God. He said, I'm not here to give for me. He said, I'm here to give for you. We don't give just to get, even though we do get rewards in heaven before, because we give, and we get rewards here on earth because we give. God said, test me and see. But what he's trying to say is, you give so that you learn how to be generous, just like your God is generous. 
God is into one thing, character formation. And God is trying to change your character in the character of Christ. That's why you're going through everything you're going through. Because God has you on this potter's will. He's molding your character. And character isn't always formed when things are good. I found out that character most of the time is formed during the difficult times. I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, the sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Understand, they didn't give because they were in plenty. They gave because they were in love, but they gave out of their need. It was a sacrifice for them. A lot of people give and they're like, oh, I'm doing this for God. But they're never going to the point where it actually cost them something. Remember David said, I won't give to God unless it what? It costs me something. The Philippians are sacrificially giving to God. Today, we're not going to take up another offering, so don't feel like we're, this, ain't, this ain't even about money. Just don't worry about your money right now. We, this is not a sermon about money. This is a sermon about contentment. Because this church now is giving. And Paul's trying to get in their brain the same thing that was in his brain. Paul, as he's writing from a jail cell about to be beheaded, is trying to get them to think, you know what? Learn the secret. Be content. It's kind of like right before you get married. Like you stop looking for somebody, right? I don't want to ever get married. I'm, this is me and God. And as soon as you say that, what happens? God brings somebody. Because it's, oh God, it's only you and me. And, me. and then all of a sudden, like, Lord, what are you doing? I, I want to be single for the rest of my life. God's like, no, I have a plan for your life. But you got to find that commitment first because if you get married and your goal is, oh, I want to get married so bad because once I get married, then I'm going to be satisfied. Once I get married, then I'm going to travel the world because I'm married, right? You're like, what? And you get married and this song will be your theme song, right? I can't get no. And, and that's right. That's, you got to make that face when you say that. Right? And that's right. Because all the memories are there. You try. That's right. I can't get no. No, no, no. And we're trying to tell you, don't seek after the next thing. God, he'll give it to you. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his rights and all these things shall be added. But learn contentment. Is Jesus Christ your exceedingly great reward? Is the fact the Holy Spirit in you enough? Is Jesus enough? Or do you need more? And if you need more, then you need to go back to this. Are you content? Because right now Paul has nothing. He doesn't even have his own life. But he's satisfied because he's found contentment in Christ. That's why we say pray, fast, study word, go to church, serve in ministry, make God's purpose yours because as long as your purpose is the, in a sense, goal of your life, you're going to constantly be in this fight. Imagine the burden we live under to try to live our lives in a way that we can always be satisfied. Imagine if you try to live your life every day being happy, every day things going your way. Imagine who lives like that. Everything doesn't even go the Lord's way every day. Do you know that? 
God has a will. He wills everybody to be saved, but yet people are dying and going to hell daily. Who gets their way all the time? Nobody. And if you have to get your way to be happy, you'll never be satisfied here on the earth. So you have to understand, man, you got to make a deal with God. God, I realize I can't get my way all the time. I know that's not going to happen. So what do I need to do to fix this? Because there's a hole in my heart and it's getting bigger and bigger because things aren't working out the way I think they should work out. And you got to realize, are you doing his will? Are you worshiping God? Or are you fulfilling the plan you have for your life? That's a fight everybody has to have. I have dreams and desires. I want to be the president of the United States. It may not happen. Don't laugh. I'm joking, though, but you can laugh. I was really joking. I don't want to be president. But what, what if that was my dream and it couldn't happen? What if I prayed every day and it never happened? Is God a liar? No. God asks you to delight in him. And when you delight in him, he will change your desires. And then he'll give you the desire of your heart. But only when you delight in him. Understand the seed of life didn't get what you want. Is being content with what God is trying to give you and do in your life. He goes on to say, And my God shall do what? Shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The most perverted scripture in all the Bible. Because most people get to this one. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And they say, my God shall supply all our wants. <laughs> Thank you, Kitty. <laughs> I am affirmed now. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> this, but but let's, let's real quick. This is actually a marketing ploy because marketers and business people know how to make you think your want is a need. That's their job. They work hard to make you think, oh, I want that car. And that want really quickly becomes your need for a car. And now you're giving out money you shouldn't give out to buy that car. You don't need it, but you want that car. Oh, you want that. You want to own a house. If I'm an owner and everything's good because I own a house, you're going to die. You're not taking a house. You own a house. I'm going to live in that house. Somebody else, I'm going to buy a house, spend the money. I'm not trying to say don't get a house. I'm just trying to say just think the logic of it. Do you really own the house? Somebody else is getting that house. The bank is going to get that house. Your kids might get that house. Uh, what, will you re- what will bring real satisfaction? I fought with that my whole life. And I come to this conclusion, the real, what would really satisfy me is if my kids, my family, my friends, if everybody who I've come in contact with in my lifetime falls in love with Jesus. Because that's eternal. All this other stuff is temporary. It's slowly fading away. And my gosh, let's all your needs. This church who given everything. They were sacrificing. They were sacrificially giving. They get a promise back from God, from Paul, through the Holy Spirit saying, because you have given, trust that God will supply all your needs. Now, understand this. Does that mean they're going to live forever? Does that mean in this body? Does that mean they're going to live forever in that body? No, they're still going to die. What is he talking about then? God shall supply your needs according to God's purpose and plan for your life. That's the needs he's going to satisfy. You have a need to do God's will in your life. What is that need? But if that's not how you think, you're going to be so off in your prayer and so off in your life. God has a plan for your life. He does. 
And if you line up with that plan, God will answer your prayers, yes, because they're according to his will. But if you're trying to make stuff up, God, oh, I want to get that dog, that bull massive with the hunchback thing. Oh, I love that dog. Or Molly, what's the name? What kind of dog you have? Uh, English master. I said the wrong. That horse that Molly has in her house, right? That bear, right? My good Lord, who I can't even believe. That dog is scary, but he's not scary. You know what I'm saying? Like, once I get that dog, oh, I, I think about kids playing with the dog, right? I'm like, but he, I'm afraid. I'm just afraid. I need, I need to be delivered from my fear of the dog. But think about this. If I get the dog, does that mean my kids are going to be happy forever? And Augustus is allergic to the dog, so I can't even get it anyway. Like, what is the one thing that God can add to your life to make you satisfied? What is it? You may think in your mind, I know, Pastor, you're, you're talking, but you don't understand my life. I don't. You may say, if I get out of debt, Lord, I'll be satisfied. Really? Oh, if I get a good report from the doctor, then I'll be satisfied. Really? Satisfaction comes from knowing there's no cloud between you and Jesus Christ. But I'm here trying to fight, as we all are in this church, to tell you Jesus is the answer. And if he right now doesn't bring satisfaction, you have a fight on your hands. He'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul goes to be executed. Got a couple points and we're done for the day. First point, our ability to find monetary contentment through Jesus' ability allows us to produce more fruit through generosity for the kingdom. The Philippians found contentment in their life. Even though they were in abject poverty, they were still willing to give. Give sacrificially. Reminds me of the woman who gave her two mites. She threw her little money in. And there were big ballers who came in. They were dumping in big coins. They were and they had that little horn that made noise when you drop your coins in. It was going, making a you know, Have you ever been to a change machine at the bank, right? Some people had like carloads of change. They're like, look how much money I'm giving to God. And this woman gave like two. And Jesus said, look at that. This woman gave more than them. And, her, and the disciples, his disciples were like, what? No, what are you talking about? He said, she gave, look at the words, all she had to live on. They gave out of their plenty. Have you made a sacrifice yet in your life where you said, you know what? I'm going to go without so I can expand ministry. I'm going to go without so somebody else can have. Early churches used to fast so that they could give their food to the poor. They were fasting to get in shape. They were fasting to hear from God. They were fasting to be a blessing to those people who were in need. Sometimes you get a sacrifice so that you could be in service. Next point. Don't mistake financial stability with biblical success. This is what the disciples fell victim to over and over again. They thought because we're rich, that means God's Jehovah Yahweh's hands on our life. But Jesus said what? It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were all stupefied. Because they thought Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were big ballers. They were rich. They were financially stable. They were in the top 1%. And their whole thinking was, when I am blessed financially, that's the evidence of God's hands on my life. And Jesus turned it upside down and said, that's not necessarily the case. Trust God. That's true riches, right? 
Next point. Learn how to be content in whatever financial state you find yourself in through Christ. I prepared these sermons like two years ago, so if this is something you're going through, this isn't me picking on you. This is something we did a long time ago. But understand, you, if you're in a bad spot financially right now, you need to learn how to find contentment. And the only way you could do that is through Jesus. If you're in a great spot right now, find financial contentment. Because Rockefeller said what? What did he say? How much? What did he say? How much more do you need? He said what? Just a little bit more. Rockefeller. How much you need? Just a little bit more. And you always say just a little bit more because you'll never find satisfaction. Next point. Why do we need to do this? So that God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God has a plan for your life. You may not think yourself right now as an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a missionary. You may not think yourself that way. But if you're saved, God's spirit is in you right now. And if you will just think, man, God wants to use me. And if you will just say, Lord, I'm willing to surrender my life to you. And if you will be willing to yield your life to his purposes, there are great rewards ahead for you. There are people waiting for you to allow that pilot light to switch on in your life and your heart. God is waiting for that fire to kindle in your heart that you will forget about for a season, even though the Vikings are having a great year this year. Forget about the Vikings. Forget about the Packers. Forget about the Lakers. Forget about the government. Forget about foreign affairs. Think about this one thing first. Does Jesus have a plan for my life? And if he does, what is it? I know you're a mother and you got kids. You're a father. You're a single person. You have all these challenges and problems. Those things could be simply distracting, hindering you from doing the very thing God died for you. He died so that you could go out and do. But you're like, oh, Pastor, you don't know right now financially. I'm not there. I got two kids. I've been living my life a long time. I'm introverted. I get it. Me too. You're like, oh, I just want to live a safe life. I want to be content, happy, and peaceful. I get it. Me too. But what if the time that we're in now, what if in this life you have right now, what if you just say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do it. Wherever you want me to go, whatever sacrifice you want me to make, I'll make it. Nobody is hindering you from doing that except for you. What if a person like you in your life, in your very situation says, I'm going to follow God to the ends of the earth. Imagine the testimony that will be when people see what's wrong with them. What are they doing going out and doing that for Jesus? They're crazy. I'm a fool for Christ's sake, Paul says. This is a momentous moment in your life. It's a call to more. <laughs> that was the Lord. Not more stuff, but more Him. If you're willing to say, God, I'll go wherever you want, then I'm going to tell you something. You're about to enter a journey. Imagine Fellowship of the Rings. Oh, I got you. They're about to go on a journey that will be recorded, written, and remembered for generations. That is your life. If you're willing 
to take the step for God. But you can't do this. You can't play both sides. You can't be on a journey to save the world and just go about normal life, worrying about the next car, the next coat, the next tires. Like, I'm not saying don't take care of those things, but they can't be first. Are you willing to make him first? You're like, I don't know, Pastor. That's a lot. I got this big job. I'm making good money now. Things are just lining up. I know. You're just like that widow. The question is, are you willing to give it all? Because the widow had to still live after she gave everything she had. Where did she go, you all? How did she eat? She trusted God. My hope is that you become that the next C.S. Lewis or Ravi Zacharias, the next widow, the next president, the next governor, the next person who is sold out for God. Really, I think we don't need many. We just need a couple to show the way, to blaze the trail, change this world for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, while we have this opportunity, we want to say thank you again. I pray we find satisfaction in you, Lord God. And where areas of hardness are in our heart, Lord God, are areas where we're not satisfied with you, we pray, Father God, that we will date you. We will spend time with you. That we will invest in our relationship with you, Father God. And you'll do the work to change us, Lord God. We don't know much. We just know, we know about a man named Jesus who died on the cross. We know your word. We know our our experiences, our past. We know our family that we've lost, Lord God. We just know the pain of this life and the pleasure, Father. We We know very little about all the things you have for us. We need your help to take these steps to bear fruit for your glory. Help us learn how to be content and find contentment in you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray the church say amen. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I give you all my on my head I don't have